I am so honored to be with you today. My name uh, is Max Critchfield. I'm the uh, director of our college age community uh, here at Three Crosses. And um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm honored to be here, um, just recognizing as well for us as a church family that it's, it's a heavy season. And I think that those realities kind of coexist for us um, in every season, every Christmas season. You know, in, in my family, we experienced um, a, a significant loss many years ago. And for many years after, we just, celebrating Christmas was hard, you know, because as you enter into this time, good news of great joy. Uh, we went to uh, cut down a Christmas tree yesterday up in the Santa Cruz Mountains. Um, that it's also pain comes with that as well, as there's people we wish we were celebrating with who aren't here, or perhaps that we're estranged from, or things that we wish were different but aren't. And um, in fact, my, my daughter, her full name is Victoria Joy, but we call her Joy. We were going to call her Joy Victoria, but we didn't feel like that made sense. So <laughs> we went Victoria Joy, but we call her Joy. And she was asking in the car yesterday, like, why did you name me that? And it was around the time that we experienced this, this big loss in our family. And we said, you know, um, just in, in spite of all of the pain and hardship that we were going through, we knew that in our life with God, we could still have joy in the face of the suffering that we were enduring. And we wanted to make that a part of your name, make that a part of our family story. And... Um, <clears throat> I was reminded I was preparing yesterday of kind of John's accounting of the coming of Jesus, which is very different than um, Luke's accounting, which is where we're going to be today. But he says this in verse 5 of John 1. He said, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's what we're celebrating in this Christmas season, that into a dark and weary world, the light of the world has dawned. And so we have a hope that's firm and secure. Amen? Amen. So we're beginning a new sermon series, as um, Pastor Buzz kind of set up for us last Sunday, uh, called Encountering God, uh, looking at different encounters between uh, the characters kind of around the birth story of Jesus. And as was mentioned previously, we're going to be looking today at uh, Mary's encounter with God through the angel Gabriel and what that might mean for you and I as we seek to follow Jesus today. So let's go ahead and turn there now. This is the book of Luke, chapter 1. We're going to be starting in verse 26. Uh, you can turn there if you brought a Bible. It's going to be up here on the screen as well. Um, so let's look together to God's word today. Verse 26 of Luke 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. 
And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. May it be to me as you have said. And the angel departed from her. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, um, I thank you for the honor of being here today as we open your word together, as we enter into this Advent season, this season of waiting, of longing, of expectation. I think of the line of that song, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in you tonight, today, here. All hope, all fear, all longing, all the questions that we're asking, the things that we're seeking, God, we find their fulfillment in you. And so I pray now as we hear from your word that our hearts would be open to hear from you and to respond with faith and with obedience. We thank you for your goodness toward us in Christ Jesus. And I pray now that you would strengthen me to be your servant, that we would be blessed as we uh, read and learn from your word together. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to begin this morning with uh, a question, and that question is, is this. How do we respond when we hear something that we find hard to believe? How do we respond when we hear something that we find hard to believe? Um, <clears throat> It's uh, kind of getting toward the end of college football season. I don't know if you're a college football fan sitting here today. Um, woo Yes. I, I went to UC Davis, whose football team was actually quite good this year. Um, my dad, he went to uh, Cal, the University of California at Berkeley. He got his undergraduate degree there, went back and got a master's degree, really loves the school. And so when I was in college, um, like in the mid 2000s, my dad decided that he wanted to get season tickets to, uh, to the Cal football games. And we live in Fremont, so it was just like a half hour drive to get over there. And um, <clears throat> my dad's not really a sport person, but he just thought, you know, I, I'm interested in that. And so <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever been there to California Memorial Stadium. It's up there kind of in the hills um, of Berkeley. It's a gorgeous venue. It's very large. Um, they renovated it recently to be a little smaller in terms of capacity, but um, at this time, it held like 72,000 people or something like that. And at that time, the Cal football team was quite good. Um, <clears throat> those were some of the best kind of years we've had. I've been going to the games for like 15 years, and there have been some pretty low years in those 15 years. If you've been following Cal football, um, you know, sometimes being a fan is about suffering and, and faithfulness, just like, you know, following Jesus. And and uh, so <laughs> there have been some lean times, but we were just like, we're into it, we're here. So I remember uh, one game my dad and I went to, it was probably in the late 2000s, and the team was quite good at that time. And there'd be times where the stadium was you know, nearly full, you know, 60, 65, 70,000 people, uh, which is a lot. And sometimes at these games, they'll have uh, you know, competitions at halftime, uh, you know, like throw a ball through a hoop like that, or 
sometimes they have like a punt, pass, kick competition. And that's like, you would just kind of kick the ball as far as you could, and then wherever it fell, you would pick it up and throw it as far as you could. And then wherever that fell, you would have to try to kick a field goal, you know, and then you would get a prize. And uh, so we show up to the game, you know, thousands of people are streaming into the stadium. It's probably this, you know, gorgeous Saturday afternoon. And um, I'm just walking with my dad, and this person comes up to me and says, hey, do you want to participate in our halftime, um, you know, competition? And, you know, the, the prize that day was a, a Toyota Tundra truck, you know? Like if you, um, you know, pass, punt, kick, and it goes through the uprights, you win a truck, you know? And so I'm just kind of living my life. I'm walking with my dad. All of a sudden, this person's like, hey, do you want to, like, go on the field in front of 70,000 people and um, maybe win a truck? And uh, I can't remember exactly how I felt at the time, but I said, no. <laughs> no, I am not interested. Um, I'm, I'm a band person. I'm not a sport person, you know? Like, I'd never punted a ball. I'd never kicked a field goal in my life. I was in the marching band. Like, that's what you, you, you got PE credit for being in the marching band. Like, that was my level of physicality. Um, <clears throat> And so I was just like, I was stunned, like, um, I'm just living my life here. All of a sudden, it's like, hey, stand in front of 70,000 people, and it's like, no, <laughs> you know, like, I'm scared. i like, is this guy for real? Are they pranking me? Uh, it just seemed like too good to be true. You know, all of a sudden, just into my everyday life, this incredible opportunity, this news that I could be a part of something, and I was just stunned, and I didn't know how to respond. And I was thinking about that story as I was thinking about this story, right, of Mary receiving this angelic visitation from the angel Gabriel. And, and I think that the heart of what I hope God uses to speak to you and to me today is Mary's response to this incredible news. Perhaps that if, if you and I were in her place, we might find hard to believe, like how I felt at that stadium, like, I don't know what to do with this. How do I move forward? How do I respond? So let's, let's go back to our text and, and kind of get a little uh, uh, more deeply into it and see what God would have for us in, um, in Mary's response to the angel. So uh, again, verse 26. Uh, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. So here we have the beginning. Uh, you know, being visited by an angel at, at any time in history is a big deal. And by all accounts, Mary is just a normal girl, somebody who was 13 to 15 years old at, at this point in the story. And this angel appears. And in fact, he says later, you know, don't be afraid. Pretty much every angelic appearance is like, don't, don't get scared. I'm here with good news. You are highly favored. But we see in Mary's response, it says she's greatly troubled. Like, why me? Why now? Why you? Like, what is happening? What does it mean that I'm favored? And the angel goes on in verse 33. It says, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid. There it is. Fear not, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. 
His kingdom will never end. Talk about this incredible story, the story of God. And Mary all of a sudden is finding out that she's smack dab in the middle of this story, that she's going to give birth to a child named Jesus. She has not been wed. She has not known relations with a man. And here, the the, the power of the Most High is going to overshadow her, and she's going to give birth to this Messiah that's going to reign over God's people forever. How, How would you and I respond to that kind of news out of the blue one night? Something significant, something big. You know, maybe a little bit like I did that day at California Memorial Stadium. What do I do with this? What does this mean for my life? Maybe I, I want to believe that this is true, but I'm not sure how to respond or what this means. Maybe I, I want to believe it, but part of me is struggling to believe it. And you see, maybe we aren't re- receiving angelic visitations telling us that we're going to be carrying the Messiah, but we too, as God's people, are recipients of many promises from God. That you and I sitting here today would say, I I believe that, I know it's true from God's word, but there are times, there are circumstances, there's days perhaps where I find it that I'm struggling to believe it. I I thought about a few of those recently. Um, You know, Romans 8.28 says, all things work together for the good of those who love God, who've been called according to his purpose. You can hear that today and say, amen, I believe that. But when one of those all things happens to you and to me that I didn't see coming, that I didn't want, whether that's the unexpected passing of a loved one, it's the pain of a relational break in our life or a a dream that's going to go unfulfilled, a promotion that we don't get, a job that falls apart. And I can say, I, I do believe that God works all things together for good, but I'm struggling to believe that today because it's hard. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. It says he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. I imagine for, for you and I, we found ourselves facing temptation maybe even giving in to temptation, doing things that we knew that were hurting ourselves, hurting our marriages, hurting our communities, hurting other people, and we thought, I don't know how I get out of this. I don't know how I stop. I believe God gives me a way to bear up under this temptation, but it feels like it's crushing me. How do I move forward? How do I deal with the shame of falling into the same temptation over and over again? How do I come back from this? I believe it, but I'm struggling to believe today. Philippians 1.6 says that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. There's times in, in my spiritual life where I feel like I'm moving for, backwards instead of forwards. I feel like my spiritual growth, perhaps, that was so you know, vibrant and you know, rapid when I first began to follow Jesus is, is becoming stale and stagnant. It's becoming a routine I feel like my prayers aren't going any further than the walls of my room. And here I, I read these words, say, I, I believe that God's going to complete this work that he started in me, but it doesn't feel like it today. 
And we could go on. You know, God's promise to cleanse us and forgive us from all unrighteousness, his promise to never leave us or forsake us, these, these incredible proclamations, truths from God that we believe we know are true, but we find ourselves just asking, how do I respond to this when it's hard to believe? So then we see that this story of Mary encountering God, it's not just about her, it's about us encountering God in our everyday life, when we receive news, good news. How did Mary respond? And, and this is the, the, the heart of the message today, is learning from her incredible response to the angel's proclamation, what that might mean for you and I taking God at his word in our life, no matter what we're facing. Let's, let's read on in verse 34. It says, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. So what then can we learn from Mary's encounter with God? What can we learn from Mary's encounter with God? I think among many things, we can be instructed in three ways by her faith. The incredible faith that she displays here upon hearing this incredible news. I'd like to share those with you today. The first of them is this. Mary's faith flows from her confidence in who she is. Mary's faith flows from her confidence in who she is. And we see that in response to the angel's answer to her question of how will this be since I am a virgin. She says there in the closing verse of our passage, I am, I am the Lord's servant. It's this declaration of identity, this confidence in who she is. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. You know, in, in Mary's interaction with Gabriel, we see this, this childlike faith, which makes sense because she's a child, right? And this angelic visitation, she says, I'm the Lord's servant. You know, her, her question of how is this going to happen since I am a virgin, it has this childlike quality to it, this, this expectant curiosity about how God's promise will be fulfilled. I was reading something recently that said, um, you know, children, you know, elementary age, younger, they ask like two to 300 questions a day. And if you're a parent, um, I'm a parent, I got three young girls, I think that's, I think that's undercounting, you know, because two to 300 questions times three every day of your life. Um, it's just like, I can't answer another question. I don't know what to do. Um, <laughs> uh, but they, they said, as you get older, as you become an adult, adults only ask two or three questions a day. And um, I just thought that was really striking, you know, that as, as a child, we just, just, there's this wide-eyed wonder, this expectant curiosity about life, about life with God. And then about when we become adults, I, you know, I feel like I have all the answers now, or maybe I'm just, I don't care that much about the questions. And we see in Mary's posture toward the angel, she has this curiosity 
this faith-filled expectation of how God's purpose is going to unfold. And this is interesting, um, especially when we kind of compare it with the angelic visitation that precedes this one in the book of Luke, chapter 1, which is the visit with Zechariah. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth are relatives of Mary, and we're actually going to be focusing on Zechariah's story uh, later on in this series, so I don't want to tread upon that, but I do want to offer just part of his response to us as we kind of hold that in comparison with what we see in Mary's response to the angel. So, uh, you know, prior to this, Gabriel has, he has his first stop is with Zechariah, and he goes to him and says, hey, you know, your wife has been barren, been unable to conceive, but she is now going to conceive, um, and you're going to name uh, your son John, who would become then John the Baptist, who would prepare the way for the ministry of Jesus. And in response to that, uh, Zechariah, he says this in verse 18 of Luke 1. It says, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. I think it's, it helps if we read this kind of in a comical tone, because it's kind of this funny interaction. <laughs> He says, okay, um, how shall I know? In verse 19, and the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. He's like, do you know who I am? I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you to bring this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. It's funny because he goes in to offer this offering and the angel meets him there and he comes out and everyone else is like, what happened in there? And he's like, you know, he can only gesture because he can't talk. (laughs) So in response to this news, um, he says, how shall I know this? Because I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Think about that in comparison with what Mary asks. She asks, how will this be since I am a virgin. That she's kind of asking, how is this going to happen? I'm curious, right? And Zechariah is asking, how do I know that what you're telling me is true? Right? He says, I'm an old man. My wife has not been able to conceive her whole life. So, like, give me a... If, if the appearance of an angel is not sign enough, Zechariah is asking for another sign. He says, how do I know you're for real? He's like, look, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of the Lord, and because you didn't believe me, you can't talk until your son is born. Isn't that interesting? Right? Mary is asking, I'm, I wonder how this is going to pan out. And Zechariah is saying, convince me that you're telling me the truth. Zechariah, he has a redemption of his own later on in this story. It's not the end for him. But um, I think for me, a lot of times I can be more like Zechariah than Mary when I'm facing setback, when I'm facing challenge. It's like, ah, do I really know that this is going to pan out? And we're going to talk about this later, but I love this, when this father came to Jesus asking for, for a healing for his son, and Jesus asked him, do you believe I'm able to do this? And the man says to him, I believe. Help my unbelief. That They exist together, right? In you, in me. I believe, but help my unbelief. Help me believe. Mary's faith flows from this confidence in who she is. I was, um, as I mentioned, my three children, two of them are elementary age. They go to Sonol Glen School. Um, we live in Fremont, and Sonol is like just less than a 10-minute drive through Niles Canyon from our house. And so they go there, and maybe once or twice a week, I drop them off at school. 
And so one of the things I have to do now as a dad is think about, like, what am I going to say to my kids, like, when I drop them off or, like, when they leave the house? And kind of what I've settled on recently is, um, you know, I love you, God loves you, have a great day. You know, like, that's pretty straightforward, right? I want them to know, hey, Daddy loves you, God loves you, he's with you, have a great day. And um, I was thinking about that again recently because I was thinking back on a conversation I had with a friend several years ago now. And somehow this conversation or this kind of um, topic came up in our conversation. Like, what do you say to your kids when they leave for the day? And um, he said, you know, and his kids were adults at this point. He said, every day when my kids left for school, um, before they went out the door, I would say, hey, remember who you are and remember whose you are. Remember who you are and remember whose you are. I just thought that was an incredible blessing, powerful words from a father to his children, from a parent to their kids. Like, no matter what you're going to face out there, the opportunities, the challenges, the unforeseen circumstances, whatever may come, don't forget who you are. And don't forget whose you are, who's holding you in the palm of your hand, the Lord. And I, I see that in Mary's response here. She says, I know who I am. This news all of a sudden has literally turned her world upside down, but that hasn't changed who she knows that she is. I'm the Lord's servant. I love that song that we sing here, um, I am who you say I am, right? Who the sun sets free is, is free indeed. In my Father's house, there is a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Amen? If that's her story, that's your story. That's my story, amen, as the people of God today. And we can remember and have confidence in who God says that we are. I am who I say you are. Yes, thank you, Jesus. That's the first thing. Mary's faith flows from her confidence in who she is. The second, Mary's faith is a response to the nature of who God is. Mary's faith is a response to the nature of who God is. So we we return to Mary's question, right? How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Amen? Every time you say that, you just want to say amen, right? Nothing is impossible with God. So Mary asks, you know, how is this going to come to pass? Like, what's going to transpire here? And he, he, he tells her, and then he goes on to kind of give her this picture of the nature of God, what God is up to, what God is even now at that moment doing in the world, right? He says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. He's referring here to Elizabeth being barren or being unable to have children, and I know that this can be a sensitive subject for us, maybe even at the holidays or just whenever, because perhaps for some of us here today or watching online, um, you have wanted perhaps to have more kids or to have children at all, but you haven't been able to. And there is this special kind of just ache and pain that's unique to that longing, 
that goes unfulfilled. And at, at the time uh, of this writing, that being barren, being unable to have children was considered a curse from God. And so Mary asking, how is this going to happen? And, you know, here's how it's going to happen. And then giving us these notes, he says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. He's going on now to talk about the working, the nature of God. He said, where there once was barrenness, there's new life now. Where there was darkness, there's life now. Where there was hopelessness, there's hope now. Because God is on the move. He says, Mary, don't, don't fear. God is working. And for this God, nothing is impossible. Right? We sang that earlier in that song, Lion and the Lamb. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Is there anything that's too hard for him? Is there anything that's too hard for him? No. No. God is on the move. He says, for nothing is impossible with God. And for you and I, in the face of our circumstances, of our challenges, it may feel impossible. It may feel like change could never come. It may feel like, man, this news that we're getting, this promise that I'm hearing, I don't know how that's going to work out. But he says, Mary, don't be afraid. Because this God who's speaking to you, this God who's with you, Nothing's too hard for him. There's never going to be a moment in your life where he's not going to be with you. So don't be afraid. Mary's response is a, faith is a response to the nature of who God is. And this is the faith of a child. This isn't, you know, some, something reserved for spiritual superstars or, you know, super mature people who've walked with Jesus their whole lives. It isn't about the, the strength or size of this faith. It's, it's about the person whom we're putting this faith in. And you and I, we might feel like our faith is ragged and torn and tattered in a thousand different ways. But if we're putting our trust in this God for whom nothing is impossible, that changes everything. Mary's faith is a response to the nature of who God is. That's the second thing. The third thing then is this, that Mary's faith overflows in adoration. Mary's faith overflows in adoration. So after this angelic visitation, she goes to see Elizabeth, her relative, who the angel has told her she's pregnant. She's six months pregnant already, who had been barren before. There's this joy where there was once deadness. So Mary goes to see for herself. And when she gets there and sees that it's real, she starts singing, okay? Like the first couple of chapters of Luke are like a musical. People are singing everywhere. You know, Mary's got a song. Um, Zechariah, he's got a song after he gets his voice back. Um, you know, the angels, they show up to the shepherds. They're singing. Uh, Simeon, this guy in the temple, he's got a little number later. You know, it's just all over in response to the working and movement of God. People are singing. People are breaking out in praise in response to the nature of who God is and his working in the world, bringing this light into the darkness. In, in verse 46, Mary's entire song, incredible, begins in this way. It says, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. 
He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. You know, I just imagine Mary, like, putting her hands on Elizabeth's belly, feeling those kicks, you know, just like, there is life here where there was nothing before. God is on the move. And in response to that, Mary starts singing. She can't contain this response to the goodness of God, the working out of God's plan in and through her life. And I'm I'm struck by how she kind of begins this section in verse 46. It says, my soul magnifies the Lord. The soul, my soul magnifies the Lord. That's a really interesting word, isn't it? When I think about magnification, I think about at least two things that magnify, right? I think about, I think about a microscope, I think about a telescope, right? A microscope is something that takes something that's very small, you know, maybe tiny, too tiny to see, and it kind of blows it up so we can see something that was kind of too hard to see before. And when I think about my own life and circumstances, a lot of the magnifying that I do is like a microscope. You know, not to say that my, my problems or challenges or your difficulties are not significant or not important. They are. But I often, if I'm honest, I can take little and small things and blow them up to be bigger than they ought to be. Maybe even in my own aspirations, ambitions, taking lesser, less important things and making them everything. But in contrast to that, there's, there's the magnifying that a telescope does, right? You know, you want to look at Jupiter, you want to look at Saturn, you want to look at the moon or something like that, right? It's taking something that's just a dot up there. It's something that, in fact, is huge and glorious and grand and incredible, but I just, I can't see it without help that with the magnification of a telescope, it takes something that is in fact massive and good and glorious and it helps me get a sense of just how big and beautiful it is. And so when Mary says here, I will magnify the Lord, I think that's a telescope, right? Taking someone who is grand and glorious beyond our imagining but who has broken into human history in Jesus Christ. She says, I, I know who I am. I've seen the working of God do things that seemed like there was no other way for it to transpire, so I will make much of the God who has ransomed me. Amen? So as we conclude our time in this story today, I want to leave us with a question. The question is this. How will we respond to the coming of the king today? How will we respond to the coming of the king today? Will we remember who we are and whose we are? Will we put our trust in the God for whom nothing is impossible? Will we reflect upon those things and then decide that we are going to magnify, to make much of the Lord in our praise, in our life, in our ambitions, in our dreams, in our communities, to point people to the greatness of the God who's ransomed us, who's brought us from death into life. Maybe we're here today and we believe, but we're struggling to believe. We know that God is faithful. We know that his promises are true, but we're like that father, like, I, I believe, but I'm struggling to believe. Help my unbelief. I love this promise in the Psalms. It tells us that God, he's, he's near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. 
Would you and I know today that the words of the angel Gabriel to Mary are true for you and me? And what did he say to her? The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Whatever you're bringing into this Advent season, the challenges that you're facing, the unforeseen um, difficulties that have arisen, that you and I would know that God is with us. Emmanuel, God with us in every high and every low. If we're on the mountaintop or we're in the valley, the Lord is with you. He's working out his purposes. He's drawing us near when we're brokenhearted. I think the invitation from God for you and me is to see for ourselves, to taste and to see that he's good, that he's faithful. He truly is the God for whom nothing is too hard. Maybe you're here today and you're like me walking through, um, you know, the breezeway at California Memorial Stadium. You're hearing this news. Maybe, maybe you just, you came in this weekend for our 14 nights of Christmas and you're like, oh, maybe I'll show up on Sunday. Maybe you've been considering, you know, this news about Jesus for weeks or months or years in your life. And you're hearing this invitation to this adventure, this hope where there, there was no hope before. And you're going, man, can I, can I put my life on this? Can I put my trust in this? Maybe today can be that day for you that you hear this news and unlike me, like, you know what? I don't want to be a part of that. You could say today is the day that I say yes to life with God. That if there is a place that the Father has prepared for me, I want to be there with him. That if we're looking for hope, if we're looking for meaning, if we're looking for community in a time that's been so hard for so many, there's a place for you in the Father's house. There can be a hope for you if that's something you've been looking for, longing for. If you and I would repent and believe that this baby who was born died and rose again so that you could have life, you could have a hope and a future forever with him, that can be your story today. So as we close this morning, I'm inviting us to respond as as Mary did to the goodness of God, and that is to sing together. And uh, you might have the voice of an angel. You might be making a joyful noise. Whatever that might be, (laughs) it is good. It is the right response of God's people to respond in praise to the goodness of God. I I read this yesterday, and there was a person who said this. They said, many babies have become kings, but only one king became a baby. And that is the king of kings that we worship, that we adore. Yes. Is he good? Is he faithful? The king of kings who became nothing for you and for me so that we could have a hope, we could have a future forever with him.